Brought to you by JMR Rentals, professional digital cinema and broadcast equipment rentals in Brooklyn, New York. JMRNY.com. And now get 15% off your first rental when you use the promo code WEEKEND. Call 347-721-3400 or email info at JMRNY.com for details. Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend, where we go behind the scenes and talk to the creators of independent entertainment. I'm Jason Godby, and today we're bringing you another gear review. This time we're talking about a camera package. We're going to be talking about the Sony A7S Mark II and Rokinon DX Cinema Lenses. So that bit of film that you saw at the top of the show, that was shot with the A7S Mark II and a set of Rokinon Cine Lenses. For those of you who listen to the podcast, you may want to watch this one just because we'll be featuring more footage from the camera. To find this episode and other episodes, you can find them on our website, norestfortheweekendpodcast.com. So, uh, this will be a little bit different than our regular camera reviews because we're talking about the camera and, and the lenses as a package. And we're looking at this for a specific reason. This is a possible camera solution for people who are looking to make movies. This isn't for like videography type work. We're looking at this as you want to make films, you want to make short films, you want to make music videos, etc. So it's a really filmmaker type oriented review. So before we get into it, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, to the good folks at JMR Rentals. They were kind enough to lend us this gear to review. We are not sponsored by Sony or Rokinon, so this will be as unbiased a review as I can possibly manage. So why this camera? Why these lenses? Why now? Uh, as I mentioned in the C100 review, the camera landscape has really exploded in the past couple of years. Uh, and Canon and Sony have really led the way. Recently, Sony has released the A7S Mark III, which was the upgrade to this camera, as well as three new cameras for their cinema line, the FX3, the FX6, and the FX9. All those cameras have amazing specs. Uh, they've really taken the filmmaking world by storm, but none of them are cheap. Uh, the A7S III runs you about $3,500. The FX3 is about $4,000 and the FX6, $7,000, and then the FX9, which is the highest up on the ladder, $11,000. And that is just for the body of the camera only. You haven't even gotten the lens yet. You haven't bought an extra uh, battery yet or anything. The Sony A7S Mark II was released back in 2015 as an update to the Mark I, and the biggest upgrade was the fact that it could record 4K video internally and could record up to 120 frames per second in full HD. As a result, it was really popular with filmmakers. But does it still hold up? Is this a camera you should consider in 2021? As far as my own personal experience with this camera and this set of lenses, we used the a7S II on a commercial project a while back, and I've used the Rokinons a few times. Recently, I shot a short film using the EF mount lenses for Canon, and then recently using the A7S II, we used the Sony E-mount. We decided to shoot that sequence at the top of the show to get a feel for what it's like to use these lenses and this camera in a real-world situation. 
So let's talk about the camera first. I'm not gonna go deep into the specs on this because there are a lot of reviews of this camera already online, but let's break it down starting with form factor. The Sony a7 II is a small mirrorless camera that's easy to handle and lightweight. One of the criticisms of the Sony Alpha series cameras is that they're a bit too small. The grip is small and could get lost in your hands. One solution would be to add a battery grip or a cage to give it some more size and weight. I used a top handle, which I picked up for around $20, and it worked just fine. Since I'm often a one-man band, I really appreciated that the camera was easy to carry around. One thing I didn't like was the placement of the record button. It's tiny and in an awkward spot on the grip. It's hard to press and to know if it is pressed, so you could easily think you're recording when you're not. The camera does have a number of programmable buttons. I was able to program the buttons to my personal preferences, which made it much easier and more intuitive to use. The screen. The screen on the a7 II can be angled, which is helpful. I was even able to see it fairly well in bright sunlight. It's not a fully articulating screen or a touch screen, which was updated in the a7 III. The screen is rather small. In fact, there were things when I was shooting that I missed because I couldn't see them. An external monitor would be really helpful just to be able to see better, and especially when you're using cinema lenses, which are fully manual. The camera does have focus peaking, which is a huge help. I wouldn't have gotten anything in focus without it. The menu system. Sony menu systems are challenging. I watched several tutorials to learn which settings work best. There is a function menu, which gives you easier access to settings you select, but not to all the settings. For instance, I couldn't put frame rate there or resolution, which would have been helpful. Should you decide to buy or rent this camera, give yourself some extra time with it to learn the menu before you use it on a shoot. Frame rates and resolution. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this camera shoots 4K internally and it can shoot up to 120 frames per second in full HD. Being able to shoot slow motion is a huge advantage, especially when you're shooting action. Unlike the EOS R, there's no crop factor in 4K. Image stabilization. This camera has in-body image stabilization and I have to say it's pretty amazing. We shot most of our scene handheld with the steady shot feature on and the IBIS helped take out most of the shake. If you use the steady shot feature and you shoot in 60 frames or 120 frames per second, you'll have no problem getting incredibly smooth shots. Picture profiles and color space. This camera offers a wide array of picture profiles that are customizable. For our shoot, we scouted the location and we shot some test footage. And for the test footage, I shot in S-Log2. And I have to say, I found it difficult to use and very impractical. To shoot an S-Log2, the lowest ISO available in the camera is 1600, which makes it nearly impossible to shoot in bright sunlight. I had to use multiple ND filters screwed onto the front of the lens, and that gave me some issues with vignetting. I feel ISO 1600 is just too high for a camera without internal ND. I also found S-Log2 difficult to color grade. I ended up shooting in a modified Cine 4 profile that I thought looked good. Although in Sony's more recent cameras, they really stepped up their color game, I'm still a big fan of Canon color science. My advice for this camera would be to test out different profiles, experiment, modify them, find what you like. Battery life. The battery life in this camera isn't great, but it's not nearly as bad as the Blackmagic Pocket cameras. If you're going to use this camera for a lengthy shoot, you may want to find an alternative battery solution like the battery grip or an external battery. So let's talk about the lenses. 
first I want to talk a bit about the difference between photo lenses and cinema lenses. A cinema lens is specifically built for filmmaking. They tend to be a bit larger than photo lenses and have a longer throw. The throw is the length of the focus ring on the lens. A longer throw gives you greater control when manually focusing. It also has a raised focus ring, which allows you to use a follow focus. Cinema lenses also have manual aperture rings, which allow for smoother manual control of the aperture. Cinema lenses traditionally use higher quality glass than photo lenses. They're usually heavier and more expensive, and they tend to produce higher quality images. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we've used these Rokinon Cine lenses on a few projects, and I have to say I'm really impressed by the quality. Uh, now, I didn't test these lenses. We didn't like put it head-to-head -head with photo lenses. We didn't put it head-to-head -head with other cinema lenses. I didn't test them for sharpness and color aberration. It's not really a technical review, and of course, you can find those types of things online, but what we're talking about is more like the user experience, and, and what I can speak about is the ease of use of these lenses. They're cinema quality, uh, they're lightweight, they're not bulky, and for somebody like me who winds up schlepping gear on my back, that's a huge plus. Uh, you can outfit your camera, of course you can build these things out, so you can put a rail system on there, you can use a follow focus, but I didn't really need to. I found that I could handhold the camera and rack focus and adjust my aperture manually with no problem. I chose these lenses because I wanted better quality images for my projects and because I wanted to challenge myself. To me, there's a big difference between using a zoom lens with autofocus and using a Cinema Prime. There's a big difference between using a camera that's got face tracking software and a lens that can track somebody from yards away to having a Cinema Prime and having your subject walk into focus. Cinema lenses change the way you shoot. They change your workflow on set. You have to set the focus before the take and have the actor stand on their mark and then come back to that same mark. And it does slow things down. But what I like about slowing things down is that you have to be deliberate. You're not relying on autofocus and zoom lenses. You have to be deliberate about your framing and your composition. And I feel like I become a little too dependent on zoom lenses and autofocus. And those are great tools. They make your shooting easier but they don't make you a better filmmaker. They don't make you a better cinematographer. And in fact, when you get on a professional set and you're using some of these professional grade cinema lenses, uh, they don't have autofocus. You know, the, uh, to shoot with an Arri Alexa, there's no autofocus on the camera. To shoot with, you know, a, a red camera, there's no autofocus. You're going to have to learn how to shoot this way anyway. And if that's your goal, this is a great way to learn how to use those tools without spending Arri Alexa and red money. I think the images I got with the Rokinons are more cinematic, not only because of the quality of the glass, but because of the way they made me shoot. So who's this setup for? As I mentioned earlier, I think it's great for filmmakers looking to get cinematic shots on a budget. You can find the A7S Mark II used for around $1,400, which is half of what the Mark III costs. And I've also seen it rent much cheaper than the Mark III as well. It's about a third of the rental price. To buy a set of four Rokinon Cine lenses can cost around $1,300 to $1,500. To buy a single 35mm Canon Cinema lens costs upwards of $3,000. The Rokinons will also cost about a third of the price to rent as the Canon or Zeiss or any other cinema brand. So should you buy this camera package or should you maybe rent it for your next project? Only you can decide that. I had a lot of fun uh, using this setup, and I think it, it could be improved, definitely at a monitor, 
uh, maybe out of follows focus or rail system. But with this camera and these lenses for the quality, I don't, you can't beat the price. Feature films have been shot with similar camera packages, and you can certainly make a short, you can make music videos, you can make commercials with this, if you're on the type of budget where you can't afford the bigger cinema cameras. For me, uh, it's certainly worth renting, especially for my own content and passion projects. If you already have a camera that you like and you want to upgrade your lenses, Rokinons could be a great solution for that. They're much more affordable. I've used them with the E-mount and the EF mount, and they now make uh, MFT mounts for you GH5 shooters out there. As always, I suggest that you rent before you buy. It's always good to try gear out before investing in it. Try it for a weekend, use it on a small project, see if you like it, and, and that's really the only way to tell if it's going to work for you. But what did you think? Did you find this review helpful? Tweet at us at BTR Productions and let us know, or leave a comment if you're watching this online. So that's all we got for you today. Thanks so much for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. Once again, want to give a big shout out and our thanks to our sponsor, JMR Rentals. And I want to thank the people at DeWolf Music for supplying the jazz that went with that bit of film at the beginning. And of course, I want to thank our talent, Natalia Desiniuk and Vaughn Broderick, and my co-producer, Brenda Betrayed Oliver, for all their hard work on this episode. For more of our content, including more gear and movie reviews, visit our website, norestfortheweekendpodcast.com. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And now you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash getbehindtherabbit. For Behind the Rabbit Productions, I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.